Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm a Chartered Management Accountant and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition or at some point in the future want to exit their business. We're going to bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Judy Wilkerson, and I'm the owner and founder of Wilkerson Accounting Solutions. I'm really excited today. This is my first ever in-person podcast. So um, yes, watch this space. And I'm really excited to be here with Kush Birdie who is the owner and founder of Birdie & Co Solicitors. And we're going to be talking all about M&A today. We're going to look at um, different parts of the process because uh, we both specialise in mergers and acquisitions. And I have a lot of conversations with people, buyers and sellers, about how to prepare for exit, but also key things to think about when buying businesses. Um, so Kush is a really experienced M&A advisor uh, working on sort of one to 10 million deals. His his solicitor firm sort of does his sweet spots around one to three million um, and probably worked on 50 to 100 deals over his um, time in M&A. Uh, so there's going to be lots of expertise in the room today. So <laughs> Kush, first of all, I'd like to hand over to you. Um, tell a little bit about yourself and why you chose to come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks Julie for the introduction there. Um, so I think that, yeah, so as, as Julie said, I'm the managing partner and co-founder of Birdie & Co. Um, our core area is, is M&A. Um, and the reason why we wanted to do this podcast today is just to really, really um, give practical insights and share our experience in terms of what we see on M&A deals. Um, you know, whether it's on the sell side or the buy side with, with the combined experience on the sort of the financial and accounting side and the legal side, we're both obviously collectively well-placed um, to share the, the trials and tribulations and the successes, of course, of the M&A deals we work on. So it'd be really good to, to use our combined um, um, experiences in the way. So I hope that everybody can receive really really valuable um, information and, and, and in order to help them use, maximize their strategy of whether it's acquiring or if you're looking to sell down the line, um, then hopefully this podcast will be really helpful for you today. What, what does that look like in terms of financial information that companies should have and businesses should have in place over and above just looking at their accounts and speaking to their accountant once per year? Yeah, well, I think if we're looking at sell side i suppose it does become relevant to buy side because once you buy a business you might be selling it in the future but if you look at sell side uh, i mean typically we'd be thinking people should have in their mind that they want to eventually produce what we'd call a seller's pack and the seller's pack would typically start with a board pack um and i know sometimes it sounds a bit corporate um i'm not saying it has to be 100 pages long but i think um there is a reporting cycle that i think most businesses should follow which would be forecast or budget um, planning what you want to do for the year, which should include financial and non-financial KPIs, um, which should be bottom-up budgeting, uh, you know, in, in, including management into that process. So one of the key things is, do you have a management team to help you run the business? Mm-hmm. At that point, you then need a good accounting software. So, you know, zero or QuickBooks could be good or other, you know, depends how large or you might need a full ERP system. Um, and that should be 
a bookkeeping process where you can run reports to get information from your charter accounts quickly. And then you should be comparing management accounts, um, actual versus budget so that you can, so your management accounts should be actual versus budget versus prior year. So you can compare how are you, how are you tractioning towards plan, but how are you comparing to last year as well? Um, and then we'd expect at least 12 weekly cash flows, which would be weekly produced and then other KPI reporting that you can cascade to relevant team members. So, you know, it could be trading KPIs, it could be customer engagements, what, whatever your industry is really, it'd be spec specified industry KPIs. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of the topic that we're on in terms of preparing a, a seller, preparing to sell their business, um, how far in advance should sellers be 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 looking at this and um, is that something you support with yeah we definitely support with that I, I mean I think businesses should be starting to think really from the time they sell it up I mean I don't I think everybody in business eventually comes to an exit that's either unfortunately through um, you're forced to through ill health or you know personal circumstances or through retirement now for some people that might be 30 years off but the thing is it's harder to get things in place when your business gets bigger so it's good to be starting to think about it slowly as you set it up. Um, but at the end of the day, if you haven't and you're not, and you know, you've got an established business and at the end of the day, you just have to start. So you have to start somewhere um, and you take it in stages. So you take it in stages. So what we typically do is if we're working with someone that's been trading for a lot of years and doesn't have the reporting in place, we would initially do, we've got a bit of an exit discovery session where we would come into the business and 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 just stop and look at where are they? Like what, what systems have they got? What reporting have they got? You know, have they got the mechanism to be able to get reporting quickly or is there work that needs doing to get it? Because you have to start somewhere. <laughs> um, and then we'd put a bit of a plan of action in place of how you'd set it all up. Okay. And that's really, really interesting. And obviously my understanding is that you act on sell side and buy side, which is useful or is it predominantly one or the other no we work on both not we weren't on the same transaction sure of course uh, but i suppose it just depends you know if we come in on the buy side we do typically come in you know at a buyer's transaction and then we'll work with them long term i suppose on the sell side it will be a business that will approach us at saying i do want to sell in the future um not just yet but i want to get set up so obviously it'd be at a separate stage and then i suppose what would happen is we'd help the seller with their information um gathering help them implement what we would call a corporate governance strategy so they have a good process controls and systems to allow the information to flow because that's effectively what financial information is it's how does information get from one team to another team through a system to then an output that is readable and understandable um, and i think and only needs to be able to have that where they don't necessarily the only people that analyze it because if you want to step away and the business run without you which is how you maximize the asset of a business you've got to start letting other people people take accountability for the for the reporting and that's what a finance team does a finance team effectively helps business owners implement the robust reporting um that is usable to all the different departments in the company yeah really interesting so of course on the sell side if you're a seller preparing to exit so the seller's you know thinking you know maybe in the next five years or two three years of, of exiting and with you coming in understanding both sides of the equation what is it that buyers are looking for i mean obviously the financial information which you've mentioned before but what is it that they're really like looking at within that financial information i suppose uh, and how does that vary throughout um an acquisition say 
because obviously then keeping that up to date might be a challenge as well. I don't know. Yeah, well, when we when people come to when the buyers come to look at, I mean, we're obviously looking at the eventually it's a valuation, which is typically the past three years average profit EBITDA or an adjusted EBITDA if there's adjustments with a balance sheet. So I think you have basic principles in accounting, which is where, you know, good bookkeeping is the foundation to all accuracy, really. That's the most important thing. And too many people try and do their own bookkeeping or put inexperienced people on bookkeeping because, yes, I know systems these days link the bank. So you think it's as easy as pushing a button. But actually, um, I mean, I would say we probably see about 100 balance sheets a month. And on average, I'd say 98% of them don't reconcile. And there's always a minimum of 10% risk. Um, and that's because people aren't doing it real time. They're not using the accruals principles, mm-hmm. sort of matching income to costs. Um, and all this sort of thing is important because it's, then it comes to trends. So you have a, you have a, you do have a three year average profit. I suppose the reality is when people are buying a business, they are buying it for the future. You know, they're trying to, they want to build on that basis and have a future. So sorts of things the bar would need to know is sort of trends of the business, which is why you want accurate up-to-date bookkeeping, because there's no point in having 11 months of wrong data and then forcing it all through one month. Because when they come to start asking you things like, well, what's your seasonalities? Uh, Where are your peaks? Where are your lows? Um, You're never going to know because you're going to force it all through in one month. So that's why you want to get accurate monthly reporting. I suppose people sometimes might start with quarterly when they're smaller, um, but as they grow, they might move to monthly. Um, and I would definitely say probably within the last six months before you sell, you'd want to have definitely monthly in place because they're going to want to see. Because also then when they're in the transaction and months go past, they need to see real time information. So you've got to be able to produce the monthly accounts. Sure. Yeah. I mean, from our side, we, you know, we, we get involved with clients if they're not already our clients selling um, at, a, at a much later stage when the, the headline deals may be agreed or about to be agreed, that kind of thing. So we don't really get involved with the financial negotiations. Um, but in terms of those negotiations, if there are uh, accounting information that needs to be produced, for example, if you get a client that comes in, there's no management accounts or they're not or not for that year or whatever, that, that kind of thing, or they're not monthly and they should be. Do you support with that, even if you're not doing their kind of annual accounts or or statutory accounts, um, because it's for the purposes of the exit? Is that something that you do? Yeah, we would be able to. I mean, statutory and you know management accounts are different to statutory accounts sure. anyway, because yeah. statutory are normally for tax purposes. Theoretically, they should roll into one. So yeah. if you're doing good monthly management accounts, the year end should be easier because it's more from the tax perspective. Um, but yeah, no, we would help because ultimately if they've got that gap, it is a different role. And there is normally a gap between bookkeeper and year-end accountant because um, there's a lot of skills within finance. And I think you, know, you don't know what you don't know. Hmm. And that's why I think our, my corporate experience brings a lot of expertise into SME businesses because although corporate might be over the top or people might feel well, I'm not a big corporate, you can actually bring good um, there is some things within a corporate structure. I think that works well in SME business, especially yeah. things like hierarchy of um, structure, controls and governance. Because ultimately, you know, when when you're as your business grows and you've got employees and stakeholders, you do have a duty of care to those stakeholders. Absolutely. Um, to minimise your risk of error and fraud, because ultimately, you know, if you go under, you know, you might have liabilities. You've got to pay. You've got staff. You might have to let go. So I think you do have to start thinking more of a business owner, corporate, rather than just a one man band. Um, sort of lifestyle business because you start having a due of care to other people. Yeah, that's so important, I think. So as you're starting to scale, it's not 
you should be doing this with, you know, you should be having more financial controls in place. It's, this is your duty actually to do that. Um, and that's a really good way to put it, I think. Um, so, I mean, we're experiencing it ourselves as we grow and we're starting to perhaps start to scale things a little bit. So we're, we're seeing that in, in our controls and stuff. And we're obviously um, reinvesting to, to make sure they're all, um, all um, fit for purpose. So, um, that, yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I think that, as I say, we get involved at a later stage, which I think um, we were going to come on to another topic um, in terms of, you know, when uh, or if a price or headline price is agreed, uh, what then the next step is and at what point, at what point do you need to come in? At what point does a solicitor need to come in? People, if, if you've not sold a business before um, or it's your only business that you're then selling, you've worked your whole life, um, you've really got to get this right. So part of that is getting the, the right deal team and advisor team around you. Um, do clients ask you a lot about that? Because you perhaps get involved earlier than we do. Yeah, and I think there's a lot in terms of selling business. There is the financial transactions to consider, but there's lots of other departments, you know, from a legal perspective. I think sellers starting to think about their contracts, um, not just their contracts with customers and employees, but probably suppliers. You know, if you've got a lease and things like that, like looking at the right time to sell. I mean, this is probably where solicitors in your area comes in is, you know, when if they're looking at renegotiating leases, obviously they, they're they going to be asked for the, that paperwork when they get Absolutely. to, so having ad, good administration can save a lot of time, you know, so if you don't have an administrator that's helping you maybe get one and things like that, because then they can help you start saving and filing all of the paperwork. Um, I mean, I don't know what you see in terms of uh, con contracts, but I know that when we deal deals, often people can't, they can't find the paperwork. We see it all the time. We see it all the time. And sometimes it's quite key paperwork. You know, we've got a, a, a company sale on at the minute, which relies heavily on royalties received from sort of IP arrangements and that kind of thing. And um, it's been quite difficult for them trying to source all the right agreements. or maybe the agreement is not in the correct company name. Um, and this is all coming out in the due diligence side, which we'll come on to shortly. Um, but uh, it's just so important. And these things can be sorted prior to, to the sale and in the lead up to the sale. But uh, yeah, we see it all the time. It could even be that there's a supply contract, a key supply contract, which has a termination clause if there's a change of control of the company. Um, if that's not known about before, you can't deal with it. And if it crops up in a due diligence exercise, then you're then gonna be panicked to sort of say, oh, I'm gonna have to go to this supplier our key supplier and 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 try to get them to agree to our change of control which they may not do um, and that can affect value that can affect value in the company so and then in terms of leases oh i can't even tell you how many times that we see problems with <laughs> leases um if the business is reliant on its premises as well which is the case in certain sectors such as childcare, nurseries and dental that kind of thing there's always going to be a premises attached and if it's not a freehold interest and you've got a lease you're always going to need that lease, and that is a key asset. We see a lot of issues crop up um, there, whether it's just it's not been drafted correctly or a client thinks it's a lease. It's not a lease, <laughs> that kind of thing. 
And, and I think where we have, when we talk about corporate governance, what we're talking about is controls to uh, safeguard the business effectively. So the types of things and contracts that we would say that people don't think about might be, you know, if you're importing goods from China, the amount of people that don't really even know the INCO terms are on. So things like right. what method of transport, you know, are you are you duty delivered, DDP? Because that's really important for where your insurance ends. Now, a lot of people just think, oh, it doesn't really matter. But I've seen... I've, I've seen boat sink, you know, I've worked in retail. I've seen, I have seen where people have lost half a million worth of stock and then they're not insured because wow. they don't know where their, what their actual insurance terms are for those products. Yeah. And, the, and the thing is, is um, it might never happen because that's with any insurance, isn't it? Any insurance is there and it might never happen, but you've got to start deciding where do you need to safeguard? Because if it did happen, what's your biggest risk? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we would say is important Um from buy and sell side is risk planning. We have to scenario and risk plan um, because ultimately, I suppose, everybody takes a bit of a risk maybe and you've got to choose what level of risk you're willing to take. But if you've never thought about it, if you've never even documented, well, what are the risks to my business? Um, which is where probably like SWOT analysis would come in, you know, when you yeah. look at strength, weaknesses, opp- um, opportunities and threats. We do SWOT analysis for buyers when we do due diligence, but why can't a seller have it? You know, this is what we would say as part of a seller's pack. A seller's mm. pack should be everything the buyer asks for should be there in a bit of a pack, maybe like a PowerPoint or whatever it is, you know, in a, in a PDF document that, so when the buyer just sees it, like, oh my God, here mm. it is. And when they ask a question, you've got the answers, you know, and that's what we would be recommending is best practice for sellers. I do think sellers are quite far behind in the UK okay. um, compared to like the US, for instance, and planning for exit. But ultimately deals still need to happen. So if the seller isn't prepared, that doesn't mean someone wouldn't buy it. But the seller's got to then be open to well, what is my business worth because I haven't safeguarded these things. Um, and even if it doesn't drop the value necessarily, but it may be it's got to have a more relaxed payment terms, you know, payment plan of that deal to allow for people to put these things in place. Because mm. um, there's so many things within a business that can, you know, just one thing goes wrong and it could, you know, it could be the end of a customer not paying, you oh, know, yeah. insurance not paying out, not being insured. You know, these are all the things. And this is what we would call corporate governance. Corporate governance is looking at the risk of your business and seeing what do I need to put in place to safeguard it from major risk catastrophes, basically. Yeah, corporate governance, really, really important. As you were t- uh, telling the story about the insurance, it made me think of something about, um, you know, not even maybe owning the goods, before they've been like paid for, for example, that kind of thing. And and if there's a the buyer doing some due diligence and, and they're looking at your terms, then they're saying, oh, actually, you've got this much um, product and you don't actually own it. Has it been paid for yet? Because maybe there's a clause, what we call like a retention of title clause um, in the in the in the terms of your 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 shipping or whatever it is. Um, even that kind of thing, understanding your 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 contracts and that all goes around corporate governance as well. So really, really important point. And all these things can crop up on a on a sale. <laughs> yeah. So And they do. And then it comes down to the due diligence the buyer does. I mean, we do speak to a lot of buyers and I think one of the problems is it is hard because buy sides, you know, there's a lot of courses out there teaching no money down deals. And I think what it's enticing is people to try and go into doing acquisitions with no money. Mm. And but the problem with having no money is you don't always get the best service because ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, if we're talking about this safeguard and corporate governance, if a seller hasn't put it in place, then do you want to know as the buyer the risk you've got post acquisition? Mm. 
and people will often try and cut due diligence or do it themselves or do it quickly. And I've seen it. We've we've gone into businesses where they've done what they thought a quick DD, um, but quite experienced business owners. And then there's lots of problems, you know, and it can take them six months and a hundred grand to actually fix the problems. So I just think, you know, people need to start. Um, there's a lot of things around due diligence where you want to sort of, I would say if the seller can't give a SWOT analysis and you'd want to at least do one yourself, you know, to break out what risks and what risks and opportunities you've got. Because ultimately in the end, it's some, it's in the end, financials are the things that are always impacted, either in time, sure. cash or profit. Yeah. Those three things in the end impact cash flow. Because when something goes wrong or takes more time or you need to put something in, you'll probably have to pay for it. Um, so planning, I think, is one of the most important things. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's interesting. People can be so focused on getting the acquisition done that they're not necessarily paying attention to all, you know, dotting, dotting the I's and crossing the T's um, on the financial side and thinking, oh, well, and the legal side, but thinking, what what does this look like after the acquisition? Um, you know, we were talking off air before just about how if there's a no money down deal, for example, and the, the, you know, meeting repayments to the sellers following completion can then have an effect on the financial aspect and the performance of the, the company cash flow, the company after completion. Um, it'd be good to hear some thoughts on that as well, because you, as you were saying before, really. Yeah, I mean, I find it fascinating, really, that there's no money down deal. And I understand it and it can be done because I've seen deals with little or no money down. But what I don't think people are truly understanding is, you know, what they're, what they're basically doing is they're going into the acquisition thinking, oh, I'm just going to use the business to pay for everything. But we now have to sit back and logically think, well, you know, most businesses aren't more than a 40% net margin, you know, probably somewhere between 25% and 40 So if you're doing a deferral over two to three years... First of all, it doesn't matter what financing you've got, whether you leverage asset financing, cash flow financing or seller financing. Um, ultimately, that business is now having to pay back a cost that it didn't previously to the purchase mm. because the seller wasn't paying back a loan of any form. So that has to that has to reduce the cash flow over the first couple of years in a business because now you've got to pay it back. Yeah. So. Um, obviously it helps the buyer because the buyer might not need their own capital to put in, but that once they've, once they've signed on the dotted line and they're now the owner of this business, now they're in responsible and safeguarding <laughs> this business. And actually you've got to be open-minded to think, but what is paying back that loan doing? Um, so that's why cash flow planning in terms of your due diligence is key and risk planning because you've got the business as it was being sold hopefully the seller will have a forecast but the forecast is going to look a lot different isn't it because now in the new forecast world you've now got this loan to pay back probably 50k of um deal fees to pay you know if you've used brokers solicitors finance brokers um and if the current owner was working in the business which often they are and you've got to replace them you've now potentially got recruitment fees to replace them, potentially a point of three to six months where you've got to pay two people because you can't just hand over overnight. Mm. Um, and all of these things have to be taken into consideration. So I think the seller should be th thinking of that further down the line, knowing because obviously if the seller can get their role replaced before they go to market, you know, some of the issues go away because it's already there. Um, and if they haven't, then they've got to be open to thinking, okay, my business is still a good business. It's still going to be worth it. But actually, I've got to be realistic here and know that I might have to be a bit more lenient on the payment terms of that deal. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit anyone if that deal was drawn out of cash 
and it just disappears. Yeah. You know, it doesn't benefit anyone. A lifetime of work, building a business and cash flow going down the drain is what will happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for getting a good deal. And I'm not saying you can't do a no money down deal because I think you can. But I do think that doesn't change the fact that that business might need some working capital cash flow. And there is a risk potentially post-acquisition, especially on the seasonality of the business, which is why the planning of it is so important. I completely agree with you. And, and actually, I would go one step further from the legal side. I'm not sure if many people know about this, but doing a no money down deal and then using the company itself to effectively finance the purchase price can actually be a legal risk. Um, if, for example, so you're using the company's money to pay for the, the seller's shares effectively um, rather than your own money. So you're going to have to draw that money from the company, presumably on like a loan account or something, um, pay it over to the seller. And if the if the company is struggling with cash flow following completion, and, and ultimately that results in an adverse situation where the company say goes under or whatever, then that's quite risky because all of a sudden you're a, an acquirer, you've used company funds to, to pay out to the sellers, and that hasn't been good enough to keep up the the, the 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 survival of the company so as d the directors of the, the company new directors of the company effectively the buyer really um can then be on the hook for that so you know if there's a liquidator appointed that kind of thing because the, the company couldn't survive those payments then that is very that can be legally risky and it's, it's something to watch out for in the acquisition process and if we're acting for sellers we always make sure that the sellers are retain no responsibility going forward and there's there's specific ways of dealing with that um it's something known as actually financial assistance because which used to be completely illegal it's not anymore you can do it but you have to be aware that the company has financial responsibilities and um if you're using company money to effectively buy the shares from the seller which is the case in a no money down deal of course that's where the money if it's sort of company financing financed um you just need to watch out for that legal risk and your advisors will should be putting in appropriate mechanisms to protect you against that yeah and i think it's so important because you know and not just the cash flow like you can sustain the cash flow you know i've seen it done and if you have your good cash flows and stuff but also as the buyer like why do you want the sleepless night it, ultimately mm. it is going to put strain on the business i know myself, i've done acquisitions myself i it is hard in the first couple of years after the acquisition there's no point lying about it you know and the cash flow will be a tighter for that period of time but you know obviously the more you can plan and know in your mind these it will be because I, I see the stress that people go through you know it's all right these no money down deals in these courses these people aren't with these buyers nine months down the line after the acquisition mm -hmm. I see what it's like for those people because that's when some people will come to us basically nearly in tears oh my god I don't know what to do the business is going under because of this and it's because ultimately you know yes you've done a, you've done a no money down deal great you got the asset financing because you've bought a business with lots of assets but there's only so far asset finance can be leveraged you know, like, you know, if it's a property, generally you can only get up to a 75% mortgage, 35% deposit needed. Where does the 35% deposit come from? You know, that might come from the cash of the business. Well, if that cash, if that mortgage wasn't there before, that is now a, um, gonna didn't into that cash flow. So I just think it's about 
understanding the risk associated to doing different scenarios. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, once you sign on that dotted line, like you say, that buyer is now responsible for safeguarding that business. And now they have the ethical duty of care to run that business. And if they've just done it haphazardly in due diligence and now signed it, and they've <laughs> now bought this business, that uh, you know, it won't probably be the seller that's now in fault. Even maybe if the seller was at fault originally because they didn't have safeguard it in the first place. Well, that's what you're trying to find out as part of the due diligence process. So I, I just want to say thanks, Kush, for coming on the podcast. It's been really great just talking about, I don't, this is the first podcast I've done really where we've just sort of talked about the deal in general. Um, and I think it's been nice for my first in person. It's yeah, really good to like just go through the stage. But if anybody, you know, needs help with uh, legals, um, where can they find you? Well, you can find me in lots of places, um, social media. So I'm quite, um, active on LinkedIn. Um, so don't hesitate to DM me on, on there or even Instagram. We are on TikTok. We're trying to get a bit better at that. Um, otherwise you can contact me by email on kush, K-U-S-H at birdielaw.com. Um, and always happy to sort of have a chat, um, with no, no charges involved <laughs> for, for, for an initial chat. So don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. And I just want to say thanks to all the listeners on the Build and Exit podcast. Um, we're nearly at 3,000 downloads now. Um, and we've just set up a new YouTube channel. So if you love the episodes, hit the subscribe button so more viewers can find our channel. See you soon. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast, then please share it with them. Either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a Facebook group or other social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you next time. We've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon. 